Well, as I said, I'm just going to take a little bit of a detour, but we're going to look at this scripture um, that's been so powerful and life-giving, um, but uh, I felt so impressed by the Spirit of God just to take time to invest in the truth of, of the Father's heart through the Word of God this morning. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 9. Jesus, they're, they're, the disciples are going like, what is, how are we supposed to pray? They've been praying their whole, by the way, the disciples, they've been praying their whole lives. Been praying their whole lives. But Jesus comes and turns the whole world upside down. And all of a sudden they're going like, wait, how, how are we really supposed to pray? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like, how are we, what's really meaningful prayer? So they ask that question. He says to them, okay, if I want you to pray like this. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll just pause there. As we see Jesus signaling, saying, listen, your heart is the, our treasure. Hallowed be your name, saying you're the treasure. But what, what he says here in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, listen, I want more of your glory. What's going on with you, Father? Who you are, I want that here in me. I want the beauty and the glory of heaven, the majesty and the goodness of the Father coming here and invading and covering and leading and guiding and coming and touching this dark and broken, sin-stained world. And we want to see it and experience it personally first. But we don't want to just see it and experience it personally and hold it and keep it. We want to give it away. We want that everywhere, the kingdom of God. And so there's this hungering to see God's goodness rest on us and begin to lead us. Because of that, because of that truth, that is why Christians care about what's happening in the world. We care about what's going on in the world around us. You can't be a follower of Jesus and then just not care about the things that we see going on. It'd be, I think it might be easy to dismiss the rest of the world, right? And just to say, listen, Holy, Holy Spirit, you know, kingdom of God, come be with me. You know, everything else feels like a dumpster fire, but if you'll just, you know, be with me, I'm good. It might be easy to do that, but that's not God's heart, is it? The world is just full of people that bear God's image, the whole earth. People are made in God's image. It just got intimate with the AC kicking off, didn't it? Right? We're just right here, you and me right now. I feel like, let's have coffee. <laughs> Sorry. People are made in his image and they bear his image. And he loves and cares for them all. And he wants everyone to come into a relationship with him through his son, to come and be a part of his family. God's calling people to be a part of his family. And he wants us to know his truth, that we're broken apart from him, that we can't be with him because of sin, but that he so radically loved us that he made a way so that we could forever be with him. And not just like someday, like here and now, right now. He sent his son, he paid a price we could never pay, he went to the cross, into the grave, and came out alive victorious so that our sin could go to the cross, into the grave, and we could come out alive victorious. 
And so that's what God wants to share with the whole world. Everyone gets access to that. Jesus says it this way. He goes, I am the way and I'm the truth and I am the life. And no one gets to be with the father unless they come here with me. So I want to, I want to change your world. But it's, it will come through me, be, being in a relationship and being near to me. That is immovable. If you want to call yourself a Christian, this is an immovable truth. All of life comes through the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he says. And so because we want to spread that truth and the love of God and bring people into his family and conform to his image, we begin to then align ourselves with his truth. What he says, if he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, then whatever Jesus says is true. And whatever Jesus says is true, not just generally, it's true about you and true about me and true of our world and true of our lives. And then he just says, right before he leaves, he says, listen, that truth that I am, I want you to go and tell everyone. In Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world, the whole world. And I want you to make disciples, meaning I want you to call them to be followers of me. I want you to baptize them in my name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says this, but I want you to teach them to keep my words. That part of being a follower of Jesus says, okay, I don't get to make the rules anymore. We all got to live and make our rules for ourselves for a while. And we all figured out it doesn't go well, right? Just can we be honest? You've done your own thing. It doesn't go well. We're all sitting here because of that. And Jesus said, I want you to teach them to trust my words and to obey, to keep my commands. And I'll be with you the whole way through. That's what he says. That's his promise. And so what that means is this, fundamentally, if that's true, fundamentally, we care about what God cares about. And the things that God loves and celebrates, we love and celebrate. And the things that grieve God, we grieve and mourn too. That's what that means. That's what it means to be in a relationship. And so he calls us into that place where we fundamentally care about the things he cares about. And what he cares about is life. He cares about life. He cares about beings that are made in his image. And we fundamentally want them to experience maximum, the greatest joy that there is in this life in relationship with him. And we're fundamentally called to love people and to share God's heart with this broken world. And so when this world feels like a dumpster fire, when it feels like it's bonkers, we don't laugh. We don't think it's cute or funny. We feel the weight of it. When we see hard and gross and broken and evil things happening, we grieve because the heart of the Father grieves. And that's what we do. We grieve for it when there's time to grieve for it. We get to celebrate and rejoice when it's time to rejo where God rejoices and we grieve where he grieves. And so even if our world is doing crazy things. We don't sit back and go, well, you asked for it. We hurt 
And we feel the weight of that together. We mourn. We fundamentally care about life because God cares about life. That's what it means to be a part of his kingdom, to care for it. And not just to care for life, but hear this, to dignify it and to honor it and to protect it. Why do we do that? Because it's exactly who the Father is. Because God loves you, he made you, he honors you, he dignifies you, and he covers you and protects you. That's who our Father is. It's who we serve, it's who we worship, it's who we sing to. It's why we lift our hands. He's worth it. He's so good. Part of that value then is advocating for life, especially for those who are the most vulnerable, for those that are weak and those who are in need of protection. And we get to see this all throughout scripture. There have never been a more vulnerable and none more in need of protection for the last 49 years than infants in the womb. So we rejoice and we celebrate and we thank God for the decision that was made two weeks ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned. It's 49 years and 63 million lives that have been lost over that time. And we should grieve. But we get to celebrate in this moment. Now, I want you to hang with me because you might, it's entirely possible you're here and you have a different position than that. And I just want you to hang as we get to just explore the Father's heart. Uh, and if you still are in disagreement at the end of this time, I, let's go have coffee. And I want you to know I love you and I'm with you. And I want to talk and we'll talk through all the things. But we're going to celebrate and we're going to dive into the heart of the Father this morning. Because the question is this, how do we celebrate this value for human life in the womb and share the truth of God's heart with a world that is in many ways raging and is angry and upset? Those that are not uh, believing in that, that truth. How do we do that well? How do we love people who are raging well? and express the heart of the Father. That's important, I think, for the church right here in this moment, that we don't go, huh, we won. But we have a heart of love and compassion because God loves life and he wants them to be in relationship with him. Because hear this, there is, and you, there is a greater aim in our life more than legal and political victories. And that aim is God wants people's hearts. That's the aim. If you are a follower of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian. We have greater, deeper, better aims than political. Listen, I'm, uh, politics is important and legal things are important. They're not unimportant and we should not not be engaged in those things. But we have something that we care about so much more. We care about hearts. Because why? The Father cares about hearts. That's what he cares about. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking for something bigger and better than just political victories. We're asking for something 
We're asking for transformation to begin to take place in our country that goes deeper. It's more meaningful. It's more consequential to people actually experiencing life. That's those hearts that are transformed by the love and the power and the holiness of the king of the universe. That's what we want. That's what our heart cry is. And so inevitably, what happens is, is you have people in your home or people maybe that you work with or people that you care deeply about, or you might even be here today, who are angry with that Supreme Court decision. And there are those that are hurt and who believe mothers' lives are not being addressed and women are being subjugated or forgotten or hated by this decision or that their bodies are being politicized. And so it's important to bring God's heart into that equation. It's incredibly important that the church speak well in this area so that we help everyone see the heart of the Father. And so how do we get to God's heart and then just begin to lovingly share it? And I just wanted to do a few, I'm going to do a few base things and we're going to finish up this morning. Uh, I was, I got, I got a chance to read it was a fascinating article that came uh, from, it came out of CNN, which is everybody's favorite place to get news. I know. Just I can, you can make that joke in suburban Tennessee. I'm just, you can't make that everywhere. So just bear with me. I appreciated uh, the opportunity to engage this article. The title of the article was, they cite the same Bible and evoke the same Jesus but these two Christians are on opposite sides of the abortion debate, which is an incredibly long title for an article just from an editorial standpoint, but I've just, I get what they were trying to go at there. And so the article was an interview with two different people and their positions related to abortion and faith. And one perspective was from a Catholic author and speaker, a pro-life advocate, and the other perspective was from a leader and a member of what's a, an organization called the Baptist Women in Ministry, who uh, she supports legal abortion rights. And so you can go look it up for yourself sometime. I mean, not now while I'm preaching. Listen to me. But eventually go, <laughs> you can go listen to the article. Uh, and I just want to take a few moments to address one of the questions that was posed that I think would be really helpful for us as we try to communicate the heart of the Father about this, this issue. And one of the questions, they just start asking questions and they allow both people to respond. And one of the questions that they ask is, what Bible passages do you cite to justify your position? I thought it was really interesting. And all, of all the questions that got asked, this, I was most interested uh, in this. And so I just wanted to give you a, a portion or the, the vast majority of the response from the, this pro-abortion representative with, with uh, Baptist Women in Ministry. And so here's, here was her response, and I want to just take an opportunity to try to just dive into the scripture. She says, we have to be really careful when we try to take a topic as complicated as abortion and try to justify it or condemn it through a single verse or a couple of verses that are taken out of context. The Bible is an incredibly complicated book written by multiple people over different historical and social contexts. It could be irresponsible to just 
pull out a sentence or two and relate them to 21st century America. The Bible does not talk explicitly about abortion, pro or con, in any kind of way. It's just not there. When I think about the kind of scriptures that people who are anti-abortion pull out, they are often about murder, sexual immorality, and blaming women. They are taken so out of context. And this sheet, she just goes on to say, there are biblical stories where Jesus advocated for and empowered women. In John 4, 1 through 42, Jesus engaged with the, women at the, the woman at the well and empowered her to spread his teachings. In Luke 8, 43 through 48, Jesus dropped everything to speak with and help the woman who touched his garment. And in Matthew 28, 1 through 20, Jesus entrusted the good news of his resurrection to women. So um, the first thing I would say is, uh, or th- here's how I would just respond. One, these scriptures are incredible with respect to the value, worth, life, power, and dignity that God spoke into the lives of women. So powerful. Jesus was unlike any leader in history in this regard, just giving dignity and honor to women. But those scriptures have nothing to do with what the question was, which is what scripture do you use to be able to stand on your position of abortion? So I appreciate the attempt, and I have no desire to, to slam. I just wanted to be able to have a candid conversation about what the word of God has to say. And so I just thought, Let's take a few minutes. She, her, the position is that the scripture doesn't speak to this issue. And I just, with humility, could not disagree more with that. And I, but I don't want to just say that. I want us to see it together. And so I just want to take a few. I'm going to give you four ways, or four ways, not just four scriptures, but four ways in which the scripture declares God's heart towards this issue of life in the womb specifically life in the womb. Number one is this. Listen, God is the maker of life in the womb. God is. God is the maker of life in the womb. Psalm 139, 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every person is made. There is no, hear this, there is no accidental life. Formed, made, created and crafted in the womb. God's at work. There's a beautiful scientific thing going on. That scientific thing is being spoken by the king of the universe. Job, uh, uh, before we go there, um, there's this a part in Job where he's having to respond to um, allegations against him and why all the tough things, if you know Job's story, some really tough and hard and just devastating things happen to him. He loses his family, he loses all of his livestock and everything, and he's going back and forth with friends, and he's trying to answer, and there's accusations being made to him, and one of the accusations is, well, surely you mistreated your servants. 
And, in, and as he's fighting back against this, well, surely one of the things you've done is you mistreated your servants in Job 31, 15. He says this, I said, I didn't mistreat them. He says, did not he who made me in the womb make him, speaking of his servant, and did not one fashion us in the womb? Meaning they're no lesser people. He hadn't mistreated them because he knew that they had been made both by God in the womb. And then maybe my favorite scripture that shows God is so ever present uh, in the womb, God speaking directly to the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, he says, hear this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet of the nations. Hear this. God doesn't just form you in the womb. He knows and has seen and created you before you were there. Let that blow your mind for just a moment. Just, you existed before you were there. That's how big God is, and that's how on purpose you are. Every one of us, hear this, called. This isn't just for Old Testament prophets. You were called, designed, thought of by God, put into the womb, crafted and created in that place to come forward, to live out God's magnificent calling for your deepest joy and his eternal glory. That's everyone. You find your neighbor and go, bro, you have no idea how big a deal you are. And they'll go, well, I kind of knew that. You know, right? You say, well, here's the reason. You were thought of by God before you ever arrived here. And church, that's you. And it's so important to value life because we're meant to look people in the face and say, you're here on purpose. You have purpose. You have worth and value because God, he saw you. Two, what we get to see from scripture is God is an advocate for the weak and for the helpless and for the innocent always. And he's calling us to be advocates as well. More than 20 times throughout scripture, you will see God prohibiting the, what the quote, shedding of innocent blood. There is no case for shedding of innocent blood. It's wrong and evil, period. Psalm 68, 15. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Hear that. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. There is a call to advocate for the weak and those in need, those that are unprotected, 
That's true of the unborn. That's true across the spectrum of life. This is how we behave as followers of Jesus. We care about those that are in peril, even when it's inconvenient. We find a, do, a, a way to do the right thing to protect those that are weak. Number three, God doesn't condone doing wrong in order to achieve a better or an easier end. It never gives, it says, ah, oh, well, in that case, just, it's already bad, so let's just do wrong in order to make it okay. You won't ever find that. There are many that might argue that uh, aborted babies, because they're ushered into the eternal glory of Jesus, doesn't that make it okay? Isn't that better than living in a hard life here and now? But we see God's heart towards life, and we get to see him asking rhetorically through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Is it okay to keep doing wrong so that people experience grace? Romans 3.8 says the same thing. Shall we do evil? That good may come? The answer to both of those is just resounding no. No. We don't do evil in order to achieve something that's easier or better. Ever. God's not afraid of hardship. In fact, we experience the majesty and beauty of God through hardship. So we walk into it linked in arms together to experience the goodness of God even through hardship, but we don't do wrong in order to try to find easier and better things. And then finally, I just say this from scripture. Number four, Jesus loves babies. He just does. I didn't know how else to put that. That's just straightforward. In Luke 18, I think this is so important to see with respect to this particular argument about if God is speaking in scripture about this issue of life in the womb. Luke 18, 15, and 16 says, now they were bringing even infants to him. So the people are bringing in their babies to Jesus that he might touch them, which if you had a kid during that time, man, I would be too. I'd be like, man, touch my kid. Like, you know, just like help him, you know, or whatever. That he might touch them. Now here, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, this is good for us to see because you can have a hard heart towards those who have a different opinion about life in the womb. You can have a hard heart towards them. Hear this. Sin nature in man wants to say, if you're smaller and lesser, you don't count. The disciples had that opinion at that moment. You're smaller and lesser. You don't count. That's what they were saying. And Jesus had to look at his disciples and go, dudes, you got this thing so wrong. I care. I care about babies. I care about infants because I formed them in the womb. Because they've got purpose and destiny and calling on their lives. They haven't even seen or sniffed yet. 
and I'm bringing them into it. So what does he say? Let them come to me and don't hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. You say and pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you and I are saying is come on in those lives, those precious lives, kingdom come. That's how we get there. I'm so thankful for this. Just, and this is just like, if you want to be a total, um, do the whole Greek word nerd thing, which I don't do very often because I haven't really studied it that much, but just be, but I just want to let you know this word here in this text where Jesus is talking about these babies coming to him, same exact word that is used about Elizabeth when she's pregnant and that baby leaps in her womb when she finds out that Jesus is married. This is Mary's cousin. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. And when she hears that Jesus is in Mary's womb, you know what happens in her womb? Little John freaks out in there. John the Baptist, like, wow, or whatever. He does something. <laughs> it was Clearly memorable. You guys, I mean, I've obviously never been pregnant, but I've, you know, I've seen a foot like, you know, do it. I've just seen that. It's amazing. So whatever that was, scripture says that baby, that in the womb, same word that Jesus used here. Let this infant baby come to me. Meaning this, the scripture's not making a distinction about this thing that's behind this layer of human life around it. I, I genuinely, and we're just going to get to this because I know we need to wrap up here soon. I genuinely cannot fathom how a layer of human, this human pouch, somehow makes this life inside not the same value as one on the outside. The Bible is saying the exact opposite, and I hope that you can see this. And there are so many more that I, we just don't have time for. But if anyone wants to try to say for any moment that the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion, church, it says everything about it. Everything. God cares about life. Ending the life in the womb is a violation of the heart of a creator God, and he's crafting us before we ever entered into the womb. Now listen. Here's how I want to finish, and we'll go quickly. We'll probably go a few minutes over, but I just want you to hang with me. That conversation may not really land with people who don't value the word of God, or they don't care about the scriptures. And so I just want to take a few moments to actually look at some hardcore reasons in our culture right now, how everyone knows that abortion is killing children. Okay. I'm going to give you just four quick. There's more than this, but four reasons, everyone, not just Christians, everyone knows that abortion is taking away the life of children. And we can have this conversation again with the heart of the father. Number one, states treat the killing of unborn children as a homicide. There are 38 of our states in our union have what they call fetal homicide laws in which if a child in the womb is killed, it is prosecuted as a homicide. Someone outside the mom kills a mom and the baby at the same time. 
that is treated as a homicide. So it is illegal to take the life of the unborn mother that wants the baby, but it is legal to take the life of the unborn if she doesn't want the baby. So you see the misalignment here, how that doesn't actually work. In the first case, the law treats the fetus as an actual human with rights. And in the second case, the law treats the fetus as a non-human with no rights. So what is, what are they trying to say? In other words, humanness is thus defined by the desire of the strong. Or if you've maybe heard it, might makes right. That if I have power, then I get to force that decision on you. And of course, you know that that has historically not gone well, because where else have we seen might makes right? We saw it in Nazi Germany, where those in power said, no, you're a Jew. You don't, you're not a life. You're a rat. That's what they called them. And so they exterminated six million Jews because they did not consider them human. Might makes right in their mind. Of course, we saw that even in our own country with racial slavery, where we literally had a law where we said black people were three-fifths of a human. Might doesn't make right. It just doesn't. We have literal laws that show us that that's not okay. And so we ask God to shift and change that truth. And I'm thankful for these laws that exist for the life in the womb. And I just think we should be consistent across the spectrum. I think that's what the heart of the Father would want for our nation. Two, fetal surgery treats the unborn as children and patients. This is the most powerful quote I've seen. There's a high-risk pregnancy specialist, Dr. Steve Calvin. And in a letter he wrote several years ago to the Arizona Daily Star, he says this, there is inescapable schizophrenia in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week fetus while at the same hospital performing intrauterine surgery on its cousin. Schizophrenia is the right word. When the unborn are wanted, they're treated as children and patients. When they're not wanted, they're not treated as children. These are just, these aren't, I'm gonna, again, these are not scriptures. These are just, this is what's happening right now in our nation, just for us to understand. Number three, being tiny and not having a developed power of reasoning does not disqualify personhood. Because there's this idea that if it's tiny or unseen or it can't reason that it's somehow not a person. You know who can't reason? Every one-month-old baby that's ever been born. I mean, just you mamas, have you ever had a one-month-old that's screaming in the middle of the night and then just goes just like into the, you know, the baby monitor? I'm good. I'll just, I got this. I know that you're sleeping and you're super tired. I'm just going to work that out. 
It's literally never happened. How did somehow reasoning power make someone a human or not a human? I've got two teenagers. I'm not even sure their reasoning ability would make them, you know, like, just kidding. just wanted to give them a wink. My teenagers are incredible, but you all understand what it means. Our abilities, when we start talking about cognitive abilities as to whether or not someone's a human or a person, it's not okay. And then I'll just finish with this one. There are more, but I'll just finish with this one. I'm at eight weeks in the womb, it's all there. All of it. All the organs are there. Eight weeks. Vast majority of abortions take place after eight weeks. Brain is functioning. Heart is pumping blood. Livers making blood cells. Kidneys are already cleaning fluids. The fingers got a print. I don't know. In, the, in West Texas, we used to have a dumb saying. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's just a duck. And that kind of seems goofy, but the truth is, these are humans. And we've been killing humans. And the heart of the Father is, he cares about those lives. And I want to say this, and we'll actually just finish with this, because this is an important part of this. Because there are a whole lot of mamas that people are worried about. That there is some real angst and consternation. And I just want to say, um, I think that it's, this is the hour for the church to begin to stand in, in this moment for those that are experiencing a crisis or an unwanted pregnancy. That I think that this is a moment where the church is meant to step up and start loving women. Now, let me just say this. If you, if you have, as we're just talking about this in the heart of the Father, you need to hear this part of the heart of the Father. If you have experienced or had an abortion, or you've been party to an abortion, you've been around or helped someone with an abortion, you need to hear this. The Father loves you and wants you to be in his family, in his heart. He brings life and forgiveness and wholeness. You want to know how we, we respond to people who've experienced an abortion? We go, guess what? I'm a sinner too. You know how we respond to those that have walked through that? We all go, guess what? Every one of us have fallen short. Every one of us. We all have different ways. We've all fallen short. But here, the good news. We've all fallen short. God made a way. So you're not in some low category. This is what the church is messed up on. Where we kind of got heavy political. And what we didn't do was with the heart of the Father say, there is life for you and wholeness for you and forgiveness and acceptance and a future for you. Period. And I know that because I am a sinner and God has done that for me. 
so this is the hour where the church, well, I'll say this, New, New River Fellowship will be a place where if you've gone through an abortion, you are welcome in this place. You will be loved and brought into and accepted. And we'll see this family grow and see the family grow. You get to walk with you and grow. You get to walk with us and grow. And we'll see the Lord do miracles. And we'll see God do powerful, life-giving things. You're welcome here. And we'll grow in Christ together. Through our wounds and through our brokenness, God will make himself known. To um, the minute that, our, as within days of this decision with the Supreme Court, our elders sat down and said, then we're going to start giving. You know, uh, those of you that have been here for a while know that 10% of everything that comes in, we give out to partners in local missions and, and global outreach. And so we immediately have started doing research and beginning to have conversations with pregnancy resource centers in Middle Tennessee to say, we're going to be a church that supports those resource centers that are helping those with unwanted pregnancies have resource, have medical care, have emotional, uh, mental care, and have options for them to be able to navigate that moment. So we're going to be standing, we're actually, I have an interview later this week with one of the centers. We'll be a church that supports centers that are helping mom and looking for places where we can come alongside and volunteer and help them as well. So that's step, step two. And then I would just say step three, um, we already support uh, an incredible organization called Tennessee Kids Belong that is helping place foster kids in homes. And so we're so for the child that doesn't have, again, God advocates for the fatherless and we'll be a church that advocates for the fatherless and we're gonna come around those that are in need. And so um, we're thankful for the organization, what they're doing, but we know God has so many greater things to do. And I think this is an hour for the church to step up. We'll be a part of stepping up into this as a church family together. You guys stand with me. Luke, could you come up? All right. I'll just say this one more time before we just finish in prayer. If you have been hurt or wounded by the church in this area, you felt condemned, you felt hated on, you felt castigated or thrown out, I want you to hear that. I just, let me apologize on behalf of the church and just say, I'm so sorry that's how you were treated. And this is a place of open arms to receive you and to walk with you. And I just want to say that. Father, we're just asking as we close this moment, Lord, would your Holy Spirit be here to remove the voice of the enemy that lies and would try to bring deceit and harm? And would you just fully share the Father's heart? We're praying right now. And we're just asking, Father, would you let your heart be known? across the earth for your love and value for people, those made in your image. And for every woman, just right now, would you help, would you pray with me for every woman that's experiencing a pregnancy right now that is out of nowhere, maybe left field, wasn't expecting, wasn't planning. Father, we're asking right now, would you move? Would you go to their heart? And would you pull them in and draw them in? Would you tell them their worth and value, your love for them? and your love for the life that is in them. Would you just release that right now, all across America, all across the earth? God, would you do that? Would you just ask the Lord to do that right now? And Lord, we're asking right now that you would help the church rise up in this moment to love people well. Love those that disagree with us, 
but Lord, love those that are find themselves in a hurtful place, those that have been hurt by the church. Lord, would you help us to love people well with arms wide open? Father, we thank you that the good news is that you have made a way for every one of us in our own brokenness and sin. We thank you, Lord, and we just give you our brokenness now. Would you just make that fresh exchange, your brokenness and sin, for his glory and beauty? That's what you do, God. You make the exchange. We thank you, Lord, that you've done that here. We bless you and we honor you. Lord, would you help us to faithfully speak your truth with kindness and mercy in our hearts? And Lord, we're asking that you would change and transform hearts all across our city, all across our state, all across this nation. In the name of Jesus, change and transform hearts, God. Turn hearts to you. Open people's eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. Help people know you are for them and not against them and that you're calling them into life and forgiveness and to be reconciled to you. And I pray this, God, help us to be agents of that truth. Would you just ask him, help me to be an agent of the gospel everywhere I go. Help me, Lord, help me. We pray these things because you're able, God, to do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, supernatural peace and rest. In a little bit, or as soon as I dismiss, we're gonna have a few prayer partners that'll be down front. We'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your world. We love praying together as a church. And so if there's any way we can partner with you, we'll be up here praying with you. If you want to hang and party and hug next, you guys can go out there. Uh, We'll be doing ministry and prayer time in here. Blessings on you guys. We love you. Amen. You're dismissed.